What's up, everybody? This is the Booch, and this shout out goes to all of the members of the Booch Cast Nation. On behalf of the entire team and all of my affiliates, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you guys so much from the bottom of our hearts for your continued support of the Boochcast. Whether it's wrestling recaps, interviews, politics, variety shows, movie reviews, whatever episodes we come out with, you guys listen, you guys tune in, and you show your support. And it means the world to us. And we're going to commence with this latest episode in just a moment. But I want to take this opportunity right now to let you guys know something really huge that is going on in the world of the booch. I am now officially on Cameo. That's right. The Cameo. The same Cameo where celebrities go and give personal shout-out videos for all their fans. And I'm here to let you guys know that for the affordable price of just $25 you can get a personalized video from me on cameo and it can be for any occasion that you want you got somebody you want me to wish a happy birthday I'll make it happen you want me to congratulate someone on graduating high school or college I'll make it happen whether it's a happy holidays video it can be a gender reveal it can be somebody who needs some motivation you want the boots to motivate you or if you got somebody in your life that you want to break up with I'll help make the breakup happen or if you got somebody in your life that you want to tell to fuck off and you want it done booch style all you got to do is go to cameo.com slash booch 365 there'll be a link in the description box of every episode of the booch cast from now till the end of time go there book your video customize it however you want let me know how you want it done and i will make it happen for you so go to cameo.com slash booch365 right now and book your personalized video today for the affordable price of $25. And now, on with the show. So just how far down do you want to go? Well, we could talk it out over a cup of joe and you could look deep into my eyes like I was a supermodel.
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Boochcast. And this week, ladies and gentlemen, we have another special episode for you guys. But what makes this particular episode really special is that it's the type of episode that only occurs once a year. It takes place at the beginning of the year, and in a very rare fashion, it is actually airing on New Year's Day. That's right, it is January 1st, 2024, at the time that you are listening to this particular episode, and obviously this is going to be the year in review that I like to do. This is where I take a look back on the highs and lows and everything in between that took place for me personally in the year 2023. This is just my chance to take a look back and give you guys a summary and let you know what the hell I've been through. Some stories you might already know, some stories I haven't really told, and I like to use this episode to really take a look back and see what's gone down. And um, I can say a lot has happened to me over the course of this year and it's kind of surreal especially since at the time that I'm sitting here recording this it is December 23rd 2023 at the time that I'm actually you know sitting in a podcast HQ and talking to you guys and the reason I'm bringing that up is because it is exactly 10 years to the day that my grandma on my mother's side of the family passed away and you know that was a very surreal moment uh, for the family because um She actually lived with us for 20 years. Uh, She moved in uh, with me, my brother, my mom, and my dad uh, in 1992. Uh, It was actually my dad's idea to have her move in, which is kind of weird. Because usually when the mother-in-law moves in, it's usually the mom, the daughter's idea. It's very seldom uh, the son-in-law's idea. Usually the son-in-law's against it, and the wife is encouraging it. In this case, it was the exact opposite. Uh, My dad wanted the mother-in-law to move in and my mother was like what the fuck and of course it happened and I had a very close um, relationship with my grandma on my mother's side. We, you know, bonded. She did a lot of, uh, you know, babysitting when my mother decided to go back to work Um, because for most of my life, you know, my dad was the single breadwinner in the house and my mother was the the housewife, the homemaker. And then as my grandma moved in, my mom at at a certain point felt comfortable uh, re-entering the workforce and eventually she did. And, you know, my grandma would be home uh, watching us for that brief period of time between us coming home from school and my mom and my dad coming home from work. So I did bond a lot uh, with my grandmother. In fact, people like to feel think that's where I got my uh, comedy from because she was always cracking jokes and had a sense of humor. Some of her jokes were corny. Some of them were a little uh, blue, <laughs> as we say in the comedy biz. Uh, for y'all that don't know, that means uh, a little vulgar in nature, but hilarious nonetheless. And, you know, like I said, when she passed, it was a very uh, surreal moment for the family. It was definitely a surreal moment for me because not only was she a member of the family that you know I had a close relationship with it also was the icing on the cake for what was the worst year of my entire life because in spite of all the shit I've gone through and I've talked about here on the Boochcast 2013 is still in the record books as the worst year of my entire life and You know, there are a few years that have come close to that. I know 2018 was definitely uh, in the running. And I can say that this year, 2023, 10 years later, this came pretty damn close as well. I mean, it started off fantastic. 
but then it ended in disaster. And I'm going to get into all that right now. And of course, in 2023, one of the highlights for me was uh, seeing Maria and Andrea for the first time in a long time. Now, if you saw the Variety Show episode that Zach and I did called Hear Me Out, which you can check out here on the Boochcast. After you listen to this episode, you can go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. I talk a little bit about, you know, seeing Maria and seeing Andrea and what went down there. Because obviously, uh, Maria had just recently gotten uh, divorced or is still in the process of going through a divorce. I don't quite know what's going on. Either way, her and her husband are no longer together. And she was basically coming down to uh, drop off some stuff uh, that he had left at the house when she kicked him out. So, of course, while she was in town, uh, she came to hang out with me and a few other friends and things of that nature. And, um, you know, Maria and I had a great time on that trip. It was great to see her again. And, um, of course, uh, because Maria and I have had a very complicated relationship. And by complicated, I mean that in a good way. You know, we're very good friends. We're very close. Uh, We don't want anything serious. But when both of us are single, we have the friends with benefits package. Now, before I continue with this, I should reiterate that this was in January of 2023, the beginning of the year. Right now, January of 2024, she is in a relationship, she has a boyfriend, and she is happy in that relationship. So I should make that very clear. So the story I'm about to tell was something that took place before she met the new guy. So... Between divorcing her husband and meeting the new guy, she was single. And when she was in town, of course, we uh, we had some adult fun on top of that. And it was uh, very, very, you know, exciting, you know, especially since we hadn't hooked up in a very long time. But then, of course, um, you know, in addition to that, Andrea also showed up because she and Maria are really good friends. And because she was with Andrea, I also had to talk to Andrea. And that was another surreal moment because much like how it's been 10 years since my grandma passed away, it had also been 10 years since I had spoken to Andrea. Because during what was the worst year of my life, 2013, part of what made it the worst year of my life was not only the passing of my grandmother, but also the breakup between me and Andrea, which to this day, I still consider to be the most painful breakup I've ever gone through. That one, for me, was the most heartbreaking. And I'll be honest, I haven't really been the same since that breakup. I really haven't. Um, but she and I were face to face at first. I was a little uncomfortable because I didn't know quite what was going to happen. I know that the guy she left me for, uh, she's no longer married to, but that's only because he is no longer with us. He has passed away. Although, unlike my grandma's passing, I have no emotional attachment to his passing at all. I don't want to say that I enjoy it, but I'm not exactly crying over it either. Because A, I didn't get along with this prick. And I'm allowed to say he's a prick because apparently when they were married, uh, he was kind of a prick to Andrea. Um, But also, at the end of the day, all I think about when I think about that guy is he's the guy, the love of my life left me for so it's hard for me to think about him in any way other than he's a fucking piece of shit now obviously since he's no longer in the picture i felt comfortable talking to andrea now obviously with andrea there was no hooking up um and that's only because she has a boyfriend now um and her boyfriend is actually this 
uh, a friend of mine named Steven that she had dated back in 2011. So apparently they're back together. Not only are they back together, they have a kid together now, which I found out about when Steven called me and said he was going to be a daddy. And I'm actually working on a joke about this because what fascinated me about this was not the fact that he said he was going to be a daddy. It was the fact that he said he was going to be a daddy and that's it. Like that was the whole statement. And I can't speak for women, but I can speak for men when I say if you tell your friends you're going to be a dad, you have to include other details so we know how to properly react to the statement. Like I need to hear I'm going to be a daddy. This is the happiest day of my life. I'm going to be a daddy. My life is over. Or I'm going to be a daddy. I hope my girlfriend or my wife doesn't find out. Like these are the things that we need to know so we can react properly. So I asked him, uh, are we happy about this? Are we not happy about this? And Steven said he was over the moon happy. He's excited. He is so happy to be a dad. So upon knowing this information, I told him, congratulations. Now, of course, I found out about the dad thing months later after this interaction between me and Andrea. But what was great about this was the fact that at some point, Andrea and I got to sit down one-on-one -on -one and really talk face-to-face. -face. We asked how each other's families were doing. We told some old stories from back when we were dating. And afterwards, we hugged. And I'm going to be honest, I held on to the hug a little longer than... I should have, but I didn't do it because I was still in love with her. I did it because I felt emotionally I was letting go of so much baggage. I was letting go of the hurt. I was letting go of the anger. I was letting go of everything that I felt when Andrea dumped me 10 years ago. And some of that, I'll be honest, I was still hanging on to because I was so hurt. And in that moment, I was able to finally let it all go and move on. Like now, Andrea and I can be in the same room together. Like I could see her and Steven together and not be angry and not be jealous and not be bitter because A, Andrea and I talked everything out and B, there was a transition guy in between breaking up with me and getting back together with Steven. And I said, because I said, also said the same thing to Steven when she and Steven broke up and then two years later, Andrea and I dated. There was a guy in between that. She had broke up with Steven. She had dated another guy. She and that guy broke up and then we started dating. So that's why I didn't feel bad. So I, in turn, can't feel bad about this. Now, if she and her husband were still married, if her husband was still alive, I couldn't be in the same room with Andrea. I wouldn't be able to look at her. Because if I saw that guy, her husband, I would want to kill him. Which I know sounds weird because technically he's dead. But I'm just saying, I couldn't be in the same room with them if that was the case. But now that she's with Steven, I can be in the same room with her. Now, granted, we haven't been in the same room since, but that's only been because of scheduling issues. My schedule's been out of whack. Their schedule's been out of whack. They did invite me to their baby shower, but I wasn't able to go for personal and financial reasons, which I'll address a little later on in the this year in review. But the main reason I kicked off the show with this is because these two moments right here were the first major moments to happen to me in 2023. So, so far, the year is starting off in a positive direction. And speaking of the Hear Me Out variety show uh, podcast that Zach and I did, there was another thing that I addressed on there that obviously I need to clarify here on the Boochcast. And that is, I mentioned the whole issues with Gator that I had. Um, obviously, at the time that we recorded the Hear Me Out variety show, it was recorded long before Gator resigned 
resigned from the show. So that's why I mentioned about Gator saying, hey, we'll, he'll show up when he's available and I'll let him know what's available and he'll do it. Obviously, that's not going to happen because, as I mentioned um, in earlier episodes, I can't even remember the episode off the top of my head right now because my brain is fried for reasons I'll address a little later in this review. Uh, Gator made the decision to resign from the show because he kept canceling on me over and over and over again, doing pay-per-view reviews, and I basically threatened to fire him if he missed another episode, and Gator decided to quit to make sure we could preserve our friendship and not have any heat between us. So obviously, that stuff I said about Gator in the Hear Me Out episode is obviously not happening because Gator is no longer committed to the Boochcast. Now, obviously, he did do the Gatorland Christmas Spectacular Part 2, The Gatoring. He did do the Christmas special that aired uh, last week, uh, which you can also check out when you get a chance. It was a very good Christmas special. Uh, Gator was very much committed to doing that special, so we did set aside time to do that. Uh, and as far as when Gator will ever again appear on the show, I have no idea. He may never return again. He may show up for a major reason. I have no idea. All I know is Gator is officially done with the Boochcast, and I have mixed feelings about it. Because on the one hand, Gator and I do have great banter and chemistry, and he is fun to have on the show. But at the same time, it was becoming a bit of a chore having to edit his segments, especially when he would say things that were off the wall and insanely offensive and go too far, and I would have to fix it and edit it and make it sound better, or when we were butting heads on the pay-per-view reviews a few times and just other crazy shit that was going down. It was getting to the point where recording with Gator on a regular basis wasn't fun anymore. So I am kind of glad that Gator's not on the show anymore in that regard, but obviously, you know, the door will be open for him to return if there's something major he really, really, really wants to do. He just has to make sure that he can commit to the day and the time that we schedule to do it. And the one other positive about Gator being gone is that now Zach has to step his game up and not use the whole, at least I show up bullshit excuse, which is what Gator and Zach have been arguing about throughout most of 2023 was there were a lot of times where Zach was phoning it in. There's a lot of times when Zach would half-ass the recaps. There's a lot of times where Zach showed up to the show intoxicated, which is why we finally had to get him into a situation where it's like, look, if you want to drink, don't do it on days we're recording. Wait till we're done and then drink all you want when you get home. And Zach finally smartened up to that when he realized how bad the show sounded when he was intoxicated. But the whole at least I show up thing was pissing me off just as much as it was pissing Gator off. And there's a lot of things that Zach does from time to time that piss me off. And some of it is comedic. A lot of it is not. And, you know, I keep trying to tell Zach to dig deeper with his reviews and not repeat the same shit over and over again for every match and, you know, stop giving vague answers. And I'm really trying to push Zach to be a better analyst and get some more passion and more, you know, fire in the belly, as it were when talking about things, and it was pissing me off during NXT that I felt like Zach wasn't putting forth enough effort. It also really, really, really pissed me off during the Hear Me Out review, if you heard it, that Zach would not participate in a lot of the topics I was bringing up, because Zach has this major problem. 
that I've noticed working with him and just being his friend in general that Zach is one of those people that has a very hard time facing reality. And I know when he hears this, I'm going to get a phone call. I'm going to get into an argument. He's not going to be happy that I'm saying this. But like every other argument we get into, I'm going to give him the same line that CM Punk gave to the AEW audience. Tell me when I'm telling lies. Because the reality is, Zach doesn't like to talk about real shit. And what Zach doesn't realize is, if you want to be part of the variety show, you got to learn to talk about real shit from time to time. I'm not just going to talk about goofy, silly shit. Like the fact that I can't get Zach to pay attention to political views or real life topics, or sometimes he gets lackadaisical with NXT, but yet when he finds out that I don't like Leonardo DiCaprio or his acting, that's when the passion comes out. That's when Zach gets angry at the fact that his boyfriend, Leonardo DiCaprio, does not appeal to me as an actor. Or the fact that I don't like to put condiments on my burgers or hot dogs or whatever angers him in a way that doesn't anger anybody else except him. Or the fact that he'd rather talk about pancakes and waffles or breakfast cereal or what's your favorite WrestleMania match of all time or if you could have lunch with any wrestler living or dead, what would it be? Like random shit like that. That's what gets him off. And yeah, those topics are fun to include in the variety show. But if you're going to be part of the variety show, have a point of view on real life topics. Whether you agree with me or if you disagree with me. As long as you have something constructive to say, I'll hear it if you're on the variety show. Jerry knew that. That's why Jerry Truman was great for variety shows. Desmond understood that. Hell, Desmond and I talk about real life shit all the time. Elvis, he understood that. Now Elvis, he doesn't really get involved in those conversations a lot in his personal life. But he understood to be part of the variety show, we had to talk about these things. And guess what? Elvis would suck it up and give a point of view. Sometimes he agreed with me, other times he didn't. And if he didn't really have an opinion, he'd mention that at the beginning, but then he would say at least something. He would give me something to work with. Zach wouldn't. And that pissed me off. And that's why going forward, I'm going to tell Zach, if you're not ready to talk about real shit, don't ask to do the variety show. Just be the NXT guy if you're not willing to step up. And that's going to be something that Zach and I are going to have a real come to Jesus conversation with in 2024. Because this is going to be the year, 2024 is going to be the year that Zach either steps up or steps aside. Either he's going to step up his game and by the end of 2024, he's either going to be a kick-ass analyst or he's going to be off the show. So basically, starting now, January 1st, he has until... December 31st of 2024 or whenever we go on the winter hiatus he has until then to step his game up in every area of the Boochcast. And one of two things is going to happen. He's going to sink or he's going to swim. And here's the thing. I don't want to kick Zach off the show. I like the fact that Zach has brought some level of commitment to the show. To the point where he has set up his schedule at Jim and Nick's to record the show. The fact that during my time at UPS, which I'm going to get into that in a little moment, but I did reveal this on the deadline recaps. I can talk about it here. The fact that he was willing to show up to my house on Wednesday. Wednesday mornings to record NXT since I was forced to work Tuesday nights and put these shows out is commendable. And I do commend Zach for that. He has stepped up in a few areas, but now we need to make him a full-fledged analyst, not just for me, but for you, the listeners. 
because I know Zach is capable of doing better. This year, we're going to find out if he actually wants to do better because I'm at a point where I can't tolerate anybody in my life anymore delivering things half-assed. If people are going to be part of my show, if people are going to be part of my life, they need to keep it pushing. We need to be doing better and better and better. Or you got to go. So this is going to be the year we find out how badly Zach wants to be part of this. And I'm giving him the tough love right now because I wouldn't be his friend if I didn't. But in spite of all that, there were some other moments that happened to me this year. One was um, my first comedy gig of 2023 was I got to perform at a birthday party. And the woman who booked me for the party, uh, I won't give out her full name because I don't want to violate people's privacy. But I'll just use her first name, which was Lindsay. And she reached out to me because uh, she was planning her daughter's 18th birthday party. So her daughter was turning 18 and they said she always enjoyed uh, entertainment. Now, originally it said tableside magic and entertainment at various restaurants, events they attended and was hoping to find a great option for January 14th. Now, during this interaction when she booked me because she reached out to me and only picked me because that's how Thumbtack works because that's the site that I use uh, for all my bookings. Now, of course, if people want to book me for shows, they can reach out to me directly. You can go to VinnieTheBoots.com for all the information there. Or if you have my email or cell phone number, you can book me through that. But most people who don't really know me but see my profile, they book me through Thumbtack. So she only picked me. So I felt compelled to let her know, uh, hey, I don't really do magic. I'm not a magician. I'm a comedian. So I said I can't do magic tricks, but I could still entertain and provide a night of laughs and entertainment. Now, the closest I've ever come to being a magician is when I was a kid, my mom gave me this magic kit, you know, like a little toy magic kit for I think maybe it was either Christmas or my birthday. I can't remember which one. But I remember when I was in the Scouts, we had this talent show. And at the talent show, I would do the magic tricks. But I wasn't very good at them. And it wasn't something that I thought about making a career out of. So I never really went the magician direction. But she was able to look past the fact that I'm not a magician and was perfectly okay with me doing stand-up. Now, what was interesting about this booking was that it put me in a situation that I had never been in before, but I was willing to take the challenge. And basically what had happened was she took something that I said in regards to how I book my shows a little more literally than I made it out to be. Because whenever I book shows with people, there are three things that I clarify before we finalize the booking. And those three things are, number one, the price. I make sure that we are in agreement on how much the price is for me to perform. Now, at the time that I'm sitting here recording this, because I'm debating whether or not to change this price, I may or may not. Depending on how successful I become this year, I may raise the price. I don't know. But right now, currently, my rate is $300 for one hour of stand-up. You get one hour of comedy from me for $300. So we have to make sure we agree on that price. That's the first thing. The second thing that I ask is what type of comedy show that the person booking me is, lo is looking for so I can plan accordingly. And by that I mean, do you want a clean show? Do you want a dirty show? Do you want a family-friendly event? Do you want a adult show? Uh, no topic is off limits. 
Some topics are off limits. Like what specifically are you looking for? I asked the, the person booking me so I can plan accordingly so I can get my set list prepared. So when I show up to perform, I am ready to go based on whatever rules the person paying me money is setting. And the third thing I asked for is the address to where I'm performing. I want the exact address to where I need to be. And I do that so I can plan out my day. Like, what time do I need to wake up? What time do I need to be in the car driving to the event, depending on the driving distance? Because that determines, like I said, what time do I get up in the morning? So I can, you know, shave, shower, brush my teeth, pack up my car, get my suit ready, because I always wear a suit when I perform. You know, I got to make sure that I'm ready to go so I can perform. Now, usually when I talk about what type of show, as I mentioned before, it's usually do you want clean or adult or family friendly, anything goes, you know, that kind of thing. So I can structure the jokes accordingly. So if I have a joke with a vulgar punchline, I can clean it up or take it out completely if it's not going to work for this event. Well, she took this to a whole nother level, Lindsay. What she wanted was the fact that because her daughter was 18 and because the family was going to be watching this show, she wanted family friendly, but she wanted jokes specifically geared towards her. Like about how becoming an adult sucks, what it's like being a teenager, having to pay bills because your parents aren't taking care of you anymore, or, you know, the fact that she's a mommy's girl, but is also very independent. You know, the fact that mommy loves her way too much, her, the fact that her brother, because he's 13, once she moves out of the house, what is he going to do now that she's not there? And, you know, the fact that she gets hangry, the fact that she's a redhead, like she wanted me to make jokes about that, which I'll be honest, it, in the beginning, I was a little thrown off by the request, but again, I wanted the challenge. So for this show, instead of going through my set list of jokes that I've worked on and honed in comedy clubs over the years, I wrote an entire hour just about her based off the things her mom said to me about her. The information she gave, the insight that she gave me, based on that information, I wrote an entire hour just about her. Completely and utterly just about her. And when I got to the house, unfortunately, a lot of people couldn't make it to the party for whatever reason. I think some people were sick. Some people ended up being busy. So it was literally four people, five people in the crowd. There was the birthday girl, her brother, her mom, her dad, and I think I'm going to say she's a grandmother. So that was my audience. And I was literally setting up my amp and my microphone in their living room. So I'm doing stand-up in a living room with just a family in front of me. And I've already been paid in advance, which is the first time I've ever gotten advance payment for a show, which was her idea, not mine. Like she Venmoed it to me, but I, but no, but me, I kept it in the Venmo. I didn't even transfer it to my account until the show was completed. Once the show was over, then I transferred the money into my account. 
because I didn't feel comfortable touching that money until after I'd already performed. So I got to tell you, it was a challenge, but I knocked it out of the fucking park. They loved it. They loved it so much. They actually asked me to stick around after the performance and eat cake and talk to them. And I would tell them stories. They would tell me stories. You know, they would ask me questions about my career and I would answer them. And overall with this family, we had a really great time. And eventually I left, and then later on, she sent me a review on Thumbtack, and she said, Vinny was a great addition to my daughter's 18th birthday party. He catered a set to her where she's at in life, and she was cracking up the whole time. Thanks again, Vinny, and gave me five stars. And I gotta tell you, folks... That is the most proud of myself I had ever been as a stand-up. Now, I'm not going to say it was a crowning moment in my career because I was performing in a living room in front of a family. But I will say as a writer of comedy, it put me in a good spot. And what was weird was that ever since then, I've gotten similar requests like that. And again, it put this challenge in front of me. Now, there were a few times where I was able to sprinkle in jokes that I have been, you know, working and honing over time. I was able to throw in some of my good bits. But to have to write a complete hour for just one show was crazy to me. It was surreal and definitely one of the proudest moments of my life as a human being that I was able to pull that off. And, of course, later on, another historic moment happened, which was, for the first time ever, I got paid to be on a podcast, which was surreal. And that was the Rethinking uh, Hospitality podcast that Josh Gaddis had me on. Uh, that was fun. Um, basically, they were talking about, you know, hospitality and hotels, which is why I, I made the joke at the beginning, like, hey, are you sure you got the right Vinny? Because my father works in hospitality. He's a hotel GM. He's worked in hotels his entire life. So we were able to have some good hotel conversation because even though I don't work in hotels, as someone who works in comedy and also works in the wrestling world, I've stayed in my fair share of hotels. So I know what that feeling is like. And I had a great time on the Rethinking Hospitality podcast. It felt good to actually get paid to do a podcast instead of the usual thing where in the beginning I never really felt comfortable paying for podcasts. But now that I've done this one, I think I'm going to start doing that a little more often because I'm starting to get the feeling that, you know, that's a high demand option for me. But before I continue uh, going forward with uh, the other things I want to talk about, there was one incident that happened in 2022 that I never spoke about when I did the going back to being the booch episode at the beginning of 2023 when I did the 2022 year in review. And the reason I kept this a secret was because at the time something happened to me that I was keeping a secret from my family at the time. Now my family knows about it now, but they didn't know about it then and I didn't want to run the risk of them listening to the Boochcast because sometimes they do and hearing this secret that I kept and the incident that took place in 2022 was unfortunately I was let go from HVMA marketing because as most of you know um, I was a social media manager for HVMA social media which later changed its name to HVMA marketing and you've heard me talk about the job a lot here on the Boochcast because I started working there in January of 2020. I started in January 8th, 2020. My last day was October 14th, 2022. That was my last official day of work. 
And unlike most jobs, instead of getting fired right on the spot, I was actually given notice on when I would be let go. Because what had happened was uh, there were issues going on in the company, and apparently my boss could no longer afford to pay me. And that was a situation. Like, he was self-financing for a while, so the company was kind of going under, and he basically couldn't afford to keep me on staff. So my work had nothing to do with what was going on. It was internal stuff. He actually said that he loved my work and wished he could keep me around. But for business reasons, he couldn't. And one thing that I learned while working at HVMA that I was taught was how to separate the business from the personal, which I think a lot of people don't know how to do. But I've learned that because personally, Hillick and I got along tremendously. In fact, we're still on good terms today. There's no heat between us. But from a business standpoint, he couldn't keep me around. So he did give me some kind of notice that I was being let go. And I just soldiered through my work, soldiered through my day. And then on October 14th, we shook hands. We had a little bit of a talk, but Hillick's not really the emotional type. But we did have a good talk and we parted ways. And we have talked a few times since then, uh, on and off. And obviously, if there's an opportunity for me to ever work with him again, you know, and I'm available, I will, of course, take advantage of the opportunity. But losing that job was very heartbreaking for me. Because I can honestly say that was the best day job, or as we say in the wrestling business, shoot job that I ever had. Of all the jobs I worked, HVMA was the best. That job was everything I wanted. It was work that I loved to do. I had a boss who not only embraced my creativity, but also was flexible with my hours. Like if I needed time off to go do a show or when my schedule fluctuated during the filming of the going live show, you know, he worked around my schedule and I made sure I got my work done, but he was always very helpful and accommodating to me. And I'll never forget that. And that's why losing that job was very heartbreaking for me. And, you know, so right around this time, as I'm entering 2023, I'm unemployed. I don't have a day job. And the reason I didn't was because I wasn't too worried about it because, A, I had money coming in because I was still getting paid for the work I did in September and for the last couple weeks that I worked in October at HVMA. So I knew it was going to be money coming in. And I still had money saved up from shows that I worked with Buff before he went into rehab. Because keep in mind, this was in 2022. Buff was in rehab during that time. So he and I weren't working together. Now, eventually he got out of rehab and we started working together again, but I still had money saved up from those previous shows. So I was still able to pay my rent. I was still able to pay my health insurance. I had three grand in a savings account. So I knew that even though I wasn't going to be able to live off of that forever, I knew that I had time to go find a job, but I also had time where I could take a break and have some time for myself as well. And also use that downtime to work on content and to also get some sleep and also, you know, rest because I've worked nonstop and I felt like I earned a break, you know, like the old McDonald's slogan. I deserve a break today. Now, of course, during this break, I was also applying for jobs. So it's not like I was just sitting on my ass doing absolutely nothing. That only happened on the weekends. During the weekdays, it would be like on Mondays, I would send out applications and then the rest of the week would be content creation. That's what I would be doing. And because with HVMA, I always had the option to work from home. I was able to do all this without anyone being the wiser. And I was able to hold on to this secret for a few months. 
until eventually there were some moments where I eventually had to tell certain people. Like, for example, uh, my dad needed help in Chicago after he had, um, you know, some operations. Um, he had to have some, uh, he had to have a stent put in his heart and my mom needed to go up there with my brother to help my dad through that time. Now it was either me or my brother who was supposed to go with my mom. And my brother has a senior sales tech job that he can take time off for, but it's not ideal. And technically with my job at HBMA, I could easily go to Chicago and do my work there. But obviously I didn't work there anymore, but I did have have a job somewhere else which I'll get to that in a moment um, and I was training at that new job but I didn't want mom to know so what I did was I sat Sonny down and I told him about being let go from HVMA and I was training at a new job that's why I couldn't go because if I had everyone thinking that I was still working at HVMA and just didn't want to go to Chicago I would look like the biggest asshole in the whole fucking family and I told Sonny please keep it a secret and he did he kept it a secret and I respect him so much for that and then eventually I got to a point where I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to pay the rent because the money was getting really low this was like around Around, uh, April or May that this started happening and that's when I finally had to reveal to my mom that I was let go from HVMA and it wouldn't be until way later in the year right around actually a few months ago that my dad would eventually find out uh, that I no longer had that job so the, the family did find out eventually in their own way um, but for a period of time, I was keeping it a secret. Now, going into 2023, at the beginning of the year, I had two potential jobs. Like I said, I applied for every social media job under the sun. I applied for multiple radio jobs. I was trying to find jobs in something that I really wanted to do, which is another reason why I didn't rush back into the workforce right away. Because I didn't want to work a shitty job just to make money. I wanted that to be a last resort, where if I run out of money and I can't find what I want to do, then as a last resort, I would go back to retail if I needed to. Now, I wouldn't necessarily go back to Home Depot or Lowe's, but I might apply to like a Walmart or a Target or some shit if I needed to. But I wanted to find a job in, you know, as my dad would so eloquently put it, what I went to school for, what I studied for, what I actually want to do. So that's why it took time. Now, of all the jobs I applied for, only two actually wrote back to me as potential job opportunities. One was to be a social media specialist for the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office. That's right. I almost became a social media specialist for the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office, but they never got back to me regarding an interview and they kept asking me to be patient. They would get back to me. Well, obviously they never did. The other potential job offer I, I got was to be a social media manager for Greenwood Bank. They also said they would get back to me for an interview and never did. So those were two potential jobs I could have got. Now, obviously, once Buff and I started working together again and traveling, going to shows, which did become a regular thing. We went to WrestleCade in, you know, at the end of 2022. And then as the year rolled around, we started doing more. When we were driving to WrestleCade, that was when I finally revealed to Buff in detail that I was let go from HVMA. I didn't mention it when we first talked about WrestleCade on the phone because he had called me out of nowhere because I didn't know if I was ever going to hear from him again. It was from a completely different number. So, you know, we had a good conversation. But I didn't mention it fully to him because my brother was 
in the other room. I didn't want to risk anyone hearing me. So I kind of lied and said everything was fine. But I wasn't lying because I didn't want to tell Buff. I was lying because I didn't want the family to hear. So when we were taking that long drive to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, I told him everything. And Buff went and spoke to uh, Steve Yu over the DDP Yoga Performance Center and tried to talk him into potentially hiring me for a job. Now, from time to time, I would go up to the PC, that's what they call it, the PC, uh, to help Buff with certain things and kind of get around everybody and introduce you know, myself to people and have them get to know me and everything while I was helping Buff. But secretly, he was trying to plant the seeds to get me a job. He also suggested to me that I should start doing DDP yoga and do the DDP yoga workout because A, you know, he felt like I needed to get in shape because I was, you know, a little unhealthy, you know, and I was overweight. But he also felt like if I did the DDP yoga workout, it would help me get in good with the DDP yoga crew. So in January, the beginning of January, I I started doing DDP yoga. Now, I have done DDP yoga before. In fact, ironically, again, I'll say it, 10 years ago was when I did DDP yoga. I actually started doing it in 2012 when I first met DDP for the first time when I was on the regular guys because uh, we did the Fat Guy 5000. Then after the Fat Guy 5000, I started doing DDP yoga. And I was doing, you know, a good bit of it in 2013 as well and working out. But then eventually, um, I stopped. Um, just, you know, fell off the wagon and... I guess with all the depressing shit that I was going through in my life, I just couldn't maintain it. But I got committed to doing DDP yoga again. So I started at the beginner's level and... For six months straight, I did DDP yoga at least two to four times a week. Sometimes I would even do two workouts in one day if the schedule allowed for it. So I would go off the DDP yoga calendar. Whatever workout they wanted me to do that day, I did it. And that's how I would do the workouts. And that's how I would structure them. And he told me to videotape. So I actually have videotaped workouts. Now, because of the way my tripod, my camera set up, I couldn't record a full workout. I would have some workouts where you would only see the standing positions and then I would have to adjust the camera to do the bottom position. So what I would do is, for example, on Wednesday there would be an energy workout and on Friday I would have to do another energy workout. So what I would do is I would put on green shorts, my old Colts Neck high school wrestling shorts and a random t-shirt, like I'll say uh, a CM Punk shirt, just for the hell of it, and I would do the standing DDP yoga positions and record them. Now I would do the full workout but the camera would only catch me standing up, the up positions. When I do the DDP yoga workout out for Friday, I would turn the camera down, still do the full-blown workout, but the camera would only catch me on the floor, doing the floor positions. And I would combine those two together and time them to make one workout video. So one workout, so I would have two workout videos in one. So it's two workouts in one. And I documented everything because I was going to document a full diet workout. And I did it for six months. Now, some of you might be thinking, why did I only do it for six months? Well, I'll explain as time goes on. So as I'm doing these workouts and as I'm still doing things with Buff, he's still talking to Steve about hiring me. Well, it wasn't until the end of March that they finally got around to hiring me to work there. Now, at the time they were trying to get me to work there, I had no idea what my job would be. I was hoping my job would be social media manager because that's my area of expertise. I am a certified social media manager. So that's a job that I can easily pull off. Well, it turns out they were good in the social media department. What they were looking for was a video editor. So Steve asked me, 
if I had any video editing experience. And I said yes, because I do. Because I've edited videos myself for my YouTube channels. And also, when I worked at HVMA, Hillick trained me on a video editing software called Filmora, which I still use today. And I learned how to edit videos through that because I would edit videos for the clients that we had. I was editing videos for Dr. Collier mostly, you know, for the lipo drops. So I had some little bit of video editing experience. Now, he asked me if I was familiar with Adobe Premiere Pro. Now, I was honest. I said, I've never used it before, but if someone's willing to show me how to use it, I'm willing to learn and use that software. So when they brought me in the first couple days, I was sitting with the professional editors they have. One guy in particular was named Trevor, who I found out has the same birthday as me. So Trevor was teaching me how to use Adobe Premiere as we were editing different videos within the PC. So he kind of taught me some things here and there. And then once they felt ready to put me on my own, they gave me my own computer in my own office. Now, I will say it was technically not my own office. I did share it with somebody else, a gentleman by the name of Spectre who is a film person, but also works in the wrestling business. He's a wrestler. Uh, he works over, uh, he trains over at WWA4 here in Atlanta, and he has worked some indie shows, and he's a very good wrestler and an awesome guy. He's also a former uh, stuntman, which I'll be honest, is a great transition into wrestling because he's used to staging fights, and he's also used to taking bumps because stuntmen take a lot of bumps. They take the bumps for the actors who don't want to take the bumps or are too famous to take the bumps. So he understands this shit. And he was a really cool guy, and we got to share an office together. And I found out later the computer I was working on, the person who used to have that computer and whose job I was taking because he left to go somewhere else was a gentleman by the name of Will Russo, who just happens to be the son of, you guessed it, Vince Russo. That's right. Vince Russo's son, I got his old desk. And everyone there was in charge of editing certain videos because the DDP Yoga Performance Center is primarily a production studio. Now, they do have DDP Yoga classes that they teach that used to be open to the public, but since the pandemic, uh, not so much anymore. Now, they have private classes for people to pay to come in and take classes and things of that nature. Um, and part of the videos we edit are the videos from those workouts. Every one of those workouts are videotaped, and our job is to edit those videos. So I, there was one uh, DDP Yoga workout video that I got to edit. It was a 30-minute workout that was very well done, and I got to learn also from Adobe Premiere how to sync up videos from different camera angles, which I'd never done before, and learn how to smoothly cut to different angles and time certain things. And I will say editing the workout videos, that was relatively easy. Really, the only mistake I made with the videos was at one point, uh, one of the videos I put in was out of sync, but Trevor quickly fixed that for me. But ultimately, what I got in charge of editing, because at first I was editing my own workout videos just to kind of get a feel for Adobe before they hand me my actual work and the videos I got in charge of editing were the cooking videos because uh, DDP's daughter uh, Brittany Page has her own show called Recipes and I would basically edit the cooking videos and sometimes I did ones from Brittany and there was also Stephanie Kelly and sometimes I would edit videos for her and I was 
you know, slowly but surely understanding things. And Steve even sat down and did some one-on-one -on -one tutoring with me to help me uh, figure out some videos and work on certain things and learn certain tricks, stuff that I never knew before. So I got a real crash course in video editing, and I learned so much working there. Now, the problem I had working there was even though eventually I was able to get the hang of it and do a pretty damn good job, I wasn't progressing as fast as they wanted me to. And also, and I'm not saying this to be negative, I'm just saying this because it's the truth. Steve has a very high standard when it comes to editing videos and how he wants them to look. And it was a standard that I tried to reach, but I just couldn't. Apparently, my editing skills were not where they needed them to be. And again, this is all from a business standpoint. So I lasted about three months because I was there from the end of March till mid-June was when I finally was let go from the PC. Now, again, there's no heat between me and anybody at the PC. They said they love having me around. They consider me a part of the extended family of DDP Yoga. It's just my editing skills were not where they needed to be. So it was all a business reason. And Steve and I had a real heart-to-heart -heart conversation about it where, you know, I wasn't bitter about the decision. And I even said I learned so much working here. I don't consider this a waste of time. I hope you don't either. He said, no, not at all. And they did pay me for my time. Uh, I made a total of three grand working at the performance center. I got, I got a thousand dollars for the training and I got $2,000 for the videos I did work on. Cause I did get the videos done. They just weren't done as fast as they wanted them to be done. But I got them done. I did get paid for my time. And that money did help me out because I sorely needed it. And of course, after I was, you know, done at the DDP Yoga Performance Center, I personally saw no reason to continue doing the DDP Yoga workouts. That's why after June, I pretty much stopped doing it. Because, you know, if I'm not going to work at the Performance Center, there was no reason for me to continue doing the workouts. Because the whole reason I was doing the workouts was to look good for the people at the Performance Center. Now, despite all that, you know, Buff and I still did you know some shows together we were still working together still doing our thing everything was going well uh, we had a great show at the Huntsville comic-con uh, which is kind of funny because a few weeks ago you know we were in Huntsville for a trading card show and we were talking about the route that we took and everything and how while we were on the drive there at the Huntsville comic-con we were coming home from the comic-con uh, buff got the call to do dark side of the ring which I was hoping I would get interviewed for that sadly I wasn't um, but you know like I said Buff and I worked together on a lot of shows. Uh, unfortunately, there was a period of time between August and October where we were supposed to do some shows together, but sadly they got canceled, um, or at least... You know, they got canceled on my end because there was one trip where he was going to take me, but he took his girlfriend instead. And then in September, he was getting surgery for his knee. So that got canceled. And then we were supposed to do the Cartersville Comic Con, but he ended up going to, but he ended up going to New York Comic Con instead. So I was done there. And for whatever reason, I did not go to WrestleCade with him. So for whatever reason, those shows didn't happen. But Buff and I have started working together doing shows again. And I'm hoping in 2024, he and I will be doing a lot more because we're staying in touch and everything's going well. And... You know, you know, our friendship has definitely grown over the last few months alone because mostly because I felt more comfortable now talking to him about my life and opening up and sharing stories I didn't share before. And he and I would have real conversations and, you know, we're, we're really bonding in a way that we hadn't really bonded before. And I think it's because now I'm at a point where I feel more comfortable opening up to him. And also combined with the fact that he's been sober for like, you know, 
450 plus days, which is fucking phenomenal, really, really helps. And, you know, so after the Performance Center, there were a few other things that happened. In fact, one thing that happened around this time as well was I had to help a random person move on Craigslist because there was a time where I was seriously running out of money and I had to pick my brother up uh, from the MARTA and I didn't have gas money. So I literally found on Craigslist a guy who wanted help moving for a couple of hours and obviously I have plenty of experience moving shit because I've moved 12 times and lived in seven different states and I've helped Buff move numerous times in and out of places. So putting stuff onto a moving truck, I have a lot of experience in. So I helped this guy pay me some good money and I was able to gas up the car and pick up my brother. And when my brother found out about it, he actually gave me 200 bucks. And that was the only time through this whole ordeal that someone gave me money. Other than that, I worked for all the money that I have, even during this time. I would pick up Zach from work and he would give me gas money. I did favors for Desmond and Shells and they gave me gas money or paid me good money, like babysitting money and shit. I had this girl Jenna paid me money to take her to a courthouse and then we went out to dinner and I paid the bill so she wouldn't have to worry about uh, not being able to afford the fine. But when she found out she didn't have to pay a fine, she was free to go. She would then reimburse me for her part of the bill, which normally, you know, I wouldn't ask a girl to do that. But in my financial situation, I need all the money I can get. And she understood. You know, she's that good a person. So there was so many things I had to do. And, you know, I took the one $100 that, that my brother Venmoed to me and used that to pay the rent to my dad. And then the 100 bucks cash Sonny gave me, I kept that until I got paid from the PC. So I was looking for money left and right. And speaking of which, uh, another thing that I uh, had happen to me, this happened actually uh, about a month after I was let go from the PC, I met a gentleman by the name of Seven Holmes, who was an Atlanta comic that I had never met before. So I assume he entered the Atlanta comedy scene long after I was pretty much uh, out of it. Um, and by out of it, I mean not frequenting the open mics as often as I used to, you know, which happens when you reach a certain point in your career or you just got too much shit going on, you know, you're just not in the scene as often. Like, like nowadays, I only go out to the Atlanta comedy scene or only go out to comedy shows if I have, you know, stuff that I need to work on or if there's a major showcase going on. Like nowadays, I work smarter and not harder when it comes to the comedy aspect. Because when I was starting out, I used to be in the open mics almost all the time. But now I'm busy with jobs and, you know, paid gigs and things like that. So I'm not really in the comedy scene as much. But I saw Seven and and we became friends on Facebook. I had never seen him perform yet, but we became friends on Facebook. And I saw he was looking for somebody to help him document some stuff. And he was going to pay really good money for it. So I applied for the gig. He called me on the phone. We talked. He, he talked to a few other people. And then out of all those people, he decided to hire me. So I called Hillick, who I hadn't spoken to in a long time. And I borrowed some of his camera equipment because I wanted professional shit. And basically the plan was I was supposed to document his whole day. Basically, he had two comedy shows he was doing, one at Joe's Coffee Shop in East Atlanta Village, and he was also going to McCracken's and the Marietta Square. So I was supposed to tape him at those two events. We were also supposed to tape him when he was doing a Trent's podcast, but because there wasn't enough room for a camera crew, Seven decided we didn't have to do that. So we kind of filmed some silly shit, me, Zach, and Molly, while Seven was off doing that. Because Seven had a friend named Molly that was with him, and I brought Zach with me to help me document everything. At the time, Zach had Monday and Tuesdays off before he switched to Tuesday and Wednesday. So Zach came with me and 
We had a lot of fun, filmed a lot of cool shit, got paid really good money, and basically he paid me $1,000 to film everything, and then once I edited and put all the footage together and gave it to him, he would pay me another $1,000. So I was going to get two grand for this project. So best believe, I took this shit seriously, and I filmed hours upon hours of footage. Unfortunately, the camera Hillick gave me didn't have enough SD cards. So after a certain point, we were fucked. So we had to use Zach's tablet and both our phones to record everything. We were still able to get really good footage, regardless. We shot things from multiple camera angles, which I now know how to master because of my time at the PC. And I was literally a director with a vision. And everything I envisioned came true. Because I was looking up, I was coming up with ideas for things on the fly. Like there were times where Seven would walk into McCracken's and I would follow him in with the camera. And I thought in the back of my head, I could do a Goodfellas parody. So I have him walking in, I play the song, and then he kissed me. And I put that up there. And then when we were driving from the coffee shop to McCracken's, if there was a really good story in the trip, I would keep it there. But if there was boring shit being talked about, I would just play music. And it would be based off the music that Molly was playing off of her phone. So at times I was playing, I think we're alone now. And then it's like, you know, smoke two joints. You know, then I had another one where it's not my fault or you're a bad fish too. Songs like that because, you know, seven likes sublime and real big fish. And then of course, there was the super rad song you know the super rad the super rad the super rad i was just playing all these different songs and mixing everything together and then i created a bunch of reels to post on instagram and tiktok because seven also wanted me to set up his social media pages because he already had facebook but he needed a twitter which i set up he had an instagram i set that up he had a tiktok i set that up and it took me about a week and a half to go through this footage. Now again, I don't have a job, a day job. So I had plenty of time to work on this footage. And believe me, all my free time went into working on this footage. If I wasn't recording for the Boochcast, I was working on this footage. And then eventually, I go to Cafe 529 on a Saturday. Because they do an afternoon open mic. I met up with Seven, showed him the footage, he approved it, paid me the rest of the money. Then, I stuck around for the open mic. I performed. I was doing some relationship jokes that I was working on. And in the end, I crushed it. And... Got a big congratulations, and Seven was impressed because he loved my material, and he thought I did a fantastic job on stage. And then, of course, after the show, there was this guy, March Chadwick, who I almost got into a bar fight with because I recorded his video, his set, because he went on right after me, but he was also being really, really creepy and making people uncomfortable, and he was also trying to get me to hook up with this girl that I didn't want to hook up with, and was trying to pressure me to buy her a beer, and at one point, he called me a piece of shit, and I almost knocked his teeth out, but then the owner of the open mic calmed me down and banned the guy from the place and told him never to come back and we literally went to the owner of the bar herself and said if you see this motherfucker call the cops so what I did was I edited the video for him right there on the spot on my phone I texted it to him and before he got kicked out I said wait check your phone make sure you got the video he did he thanked me he left and then I blocked his number because I don't ever want to see this piece of shit again I have no problem saying his name either even if he listens to this episode I don't ever want to see him again because he's that much of a piece of shit. He's a creepy motherfucker who has no business being out in public because he doesn't know how to fucking behave. But 
there was that awkward moment. But outside of that, Seven and I have developed a really good friendship. In fact, about a few weeks ago, he finally tapped into his Instagram because he's working on this new business venture. And he said he finally got a chance to look at some of the videos more in depth. And he loved what I did. And he said that when it come, when we get to the springtime, we'll be working together again. He doesn't really do anything in the winter. Plus, I've been so busy, I wouldn't have had time to. But he's hoping in the spring, we'll be able to get together and do more film projects, which I am definitely looking forward to doing because Seven is a wonderful guy, fantastic, and I love working with him. And speaking of working together in collaborations, another collaboration that uh, took place in 2023 as well, and that was teaming up with the one and only Goth Batty. That's right. Goth Batty, somebody that I'd known for a very long time, about 10 years, again, 10-year mark, because I met her in the Atlanta comedy scene when she was a comedian. Um, we didn't cross paths often when we did. We were always civilized with each other and everything was cool. And then over time, we started talking more on social media. And then she found out that, uh, much like her, I am also a conservative. And that's what made us start to work together. And we started talking and hanging out. And we were hanging out in her Twitter spaces because she would do these Twitter space conversations. And eventually it got to the point where she and I started talking on the phone a lot through texts and phone calls. And we weren't starting a relationship or anything like, sexual but we were just friends talking and eventually we started collaborating because she invited me to be on her show no hood rats allowed and we did a couple episodes together and our chemistry was off the charts I, of course, brought her on the Boochcast. Uh, we did an interview with her where we talked about her life and her career. We did a review of the movie Sound of Freedom. We actually went to the movies together to see Sound of Freedom. And we taped the video for Boochcast Review's Dark Side of Comedy, which I have completely finished all post-production on and am ready to air it once I get the Chris Farley and the Andrew Dice Clay episodes done. And once I figure out who's going to join me for Artie Lang, that Roseanne video is ready to go. And it was a really good video and a really Really great conversation that Goth Batty and I had, like we always do. And I remember we had all these plans for the future. She had all these projects she wanted to help me with. And she had a bunch of projects that I wanted to help her with. Like we wanted to combine the Booch cast and No Hood Rats Allowed and do something epic because we had so much in common. You know, we're both comedians, we're both conservatives, we both like to piss off the liberals. Like we're both on the same page in that regard. Now, granted, she's a little nutty than I am in that regard but at the time I didn't care like we were gearing up for the 2024 election we had so much shit planned hell I transcribed the first GOP debate because I was going to bring Goth Batty on here to talk about it we had all this great shit that we were going to do and like we said our friendship was growing she met my family because she'd been over to my house I met her family well I met her dog and her son that's pretty much her family right now she's met my mom my dad my brother my dog like everything was going fucking great even to the point where she hired me to edit videos for her. I would literally take her live streams of No Hood Rats Allowed and I would edit them into like shorter videos. Some would be a couple minutes long. Some would be longer form videos. I created reels for her. I pretty much did everything she asked of me and I would get paid for that while in addition to, you know, the outside projects we were working on. And then out of nowhere, we end up having a falling out over the dumbest shit possible. Now, for those of you who listened to the Hear Me Out variety show, I know I'm going back to that, but I have to because of the fact that it was recently posted, even though it was recorded a long time ago. I mentioned in there about the falling out with Goth Batty, but I don't go into detail about it because I said at the time I didn't want to go into detail about it because it just wasn't something I wanted to talk about 
and because, you know, Goth Batty hadn't really bad-mouthed me, so I saw no reason to say anything about her, so I was going to leave it alone. But then, I happened to stumble across something on her Twitter page. Now, she hasn't mentioned me by name. The only thing she mentioned about me was when she said, I had to fire my editor, and good help is so hard to find. Or that she says, I want to hire an assistant, I want to get some people to shoot with for sh- for scenes, but I can't because good help is so hard to find. It's like, no, it's not. You had good help. You had me, but you kicked me to the curb over stupid shit. Now, I'm going to tell you all what happened, and then I'm going to tell you why I chose to bring it up. But this is what happened. As I mentioned before, Goth Batty hired me to edit her live stream videos. She gave me access to a stream yard. I would download a video. I would go through the video and I would clip things up and create these videos. And I would basically have two weeks to get certain stuff done in a certain period of time, which I had time to do because I mentioned before, I didn't have a day job. So there's nothing stopping me from doing any of this. So I go through the videos. I edit the videos. I do what I'm doing. Now, there was one particular video that I was editing. And it was about how Lil Wayne keeps black men in jail. Now, again, this is Goth Batty's content, not mine. I'm just editing the videos. So I put this video together. Now, before I commence with talking about this video, there are two pieces of information that you need to know before I continue. Number one, the video she fired me over was not available to the public. I've never posted it to the internet. It was only available on my computer. So for you to see this video, you would have to come to my house, come into my studio, sit at my computer, locate the file, and click on it. That's the only way you could see it. This was not available to the public at all. So let's just make that clear before I go further. The second thing I want to make clear is a clip that I used that upset Goth Batty is in the public eye for everyone to see. I want to make those two things clear. Now, at one point in the video, Goth Batty is talking about a particular section of Atlanta. I don't remember what that section is, but I remember at one point she goes, side note, this is where I shot the graveyard video. And she goes, <laughs> I was in the trenches, and then goes back to talking about Lil Wayne. Now, some of you might be wondering, Booch, what is the graveyard video of which you speak? Very good question. Here it is. The graveyard video is a video where Goth Batty and some random dude are having sex behind a tombstone in a cemetery. Goth Batty filmed a video. She filmed, edited, and uploaded to the internet a video of her and some random dude having sex behind a tombstone in a cemetery. The video is 3 minutes and 30 seconds long. It's a three and a half minute video, roughly. It has 120 replies to it. About 1.3K retweets, 8.K likes, and 2.1K people have bookmarked it. Side note, I'm one of the people who bookmarked it. And I bookmarked it just so I could have it as a reference for this episode. And there are literally people who comment on this, who have hateful things to say about Goth Batty, about how she's disrespectful, she's disrespecting the family of the dead person, she's disrespecting the dead person, period. One person actually said, if that was the grave of one of my relatives, I would kill you. So someone actually threatened to kill Goth Batty on Twitter for fucking near a grave. Now, she wasn't on top of the grave, it was behind the tombstone, but still, she's near the grave. And there are people shitting upon 
Amazon got fatty over this. But again, she posted this video on her Twitter page. If you go to her Twitter page right now, at Gothbatty, and you scroll down, eventually you are going to see this video in its entirety. So like I said, she's mentioning the graveyard video in the Lil Wayne video. So what I did, this is what I did. I screen recorded three seconds, maybe five, three to five seconds roughly of Goth Batty getting fucked from behind at the graveyard. And I insert the clip into the part where she says, side note, where I shot the graveyard video. Then it pops up while she's laughing. Then it fades away. And she says, I was in the trenches and goes back to talking about Lil Wayne. Now the Lil Wayne video itself was 17 minutes long when I edited it. The graveyard clip that I put in, three to five seconds. If you blink, you missed it. So I put this video together. And like I said, I did not upload it to the internet. It's still on my computer. Goth Batty comes over to my house. She sits down next to me and I proceed to show her the videos because what I do is after I put the videos together, I bring her to the house to look at them so she can approve on the videos. And if she likes them and approves all of them, she pays me. And if there's videos she doesn't like or something she wants changed, we change it. I'll fix it right there in front of her. Or you send me a list. I fix them up. I bring you back. You look at them again. Like we can do this. So I show her the 17 minute video. She sees the graveyard video. The three to five second thing pops up. Now, Goth Daddy's a little shocked. She's a little taken aback. She wasn't expecting that. And she's getting a little nervous and uncomfortable. So I'm asking her, what's the problem? Is everything okay? She says, Vinny, where did you get that? I said, I found it here and I took it off the page. It was in the public. And she says, well, Vinny, this is for YouTube. I can't use this. I said, okay, no problem. So here's what I did. I open up the file. I delete the porn clip and I export a brand new file that doesn't have the porn clip in it. I then take the one with the porn clip and I delete it and I put the new clip in there. Problem solved. And again, nobody's seen the video except me and Goth Batty. So I fix it, everything. Problem solved. She gets her external hard drive. She takes the videos. She pays me my money. And we even made arrangements for the following Monday for me to go over to her house to tape an episode of Boochcast Reviews Dark Side of the 2000s because Goth Batty is going to join me for the TRL episode where we talk about the history of Total Request Live because Goth Batty was a huge fan of TRL, as most of us were, in its heyday. So we talk, everything seems to go well, everything's going great, and then all of a sudden on Monday, or no, no, not on Monday, but I think it was I think it was Sunday, she texted me and said, Vinny, I'm not gonna be able to make it on Monday. I'm swamped with meetings. I said, Okay, how about Tuesday? She said, I'm not sure. Tuesday's usually my busiest day. I'm like, okay, well, what day this week is available to you? I'm trying to work around her schedule. And then all of a sudden, she blurts out about how I still can't believe you put that porn clip in there. I don't know why you thought that would be okay. And I said, well, it w I thought it was okay because it's your porn video and you brought it up within the video. Like, I'm telling her exactly why I did what I did. I'm not hiding anything. And I even told her, when you said you didn't like it, I changed it. Obviously, that's not a mistake I'm going to make again because we already know now, okay, you don't like it. And then she proceeds to go on this rant about how she felt embarrassed, disgusted, and violated. And I'm like, okay, first of all, how are you embarrassed by a video that nobody saw except for the two of us? Again, no one saw this video. Nobody in the public domain saw this video that I edited. Nobody. I showed it to you so you could approve it. And also, how are you violated by me using a porn clip 
that you recorded, edited, and uploaded to the internet for the public to watch. It's not like it was a private video she sent to me and then I put it on the internet. Or it's not like it was only available on her OnlyFans and I hacked into it and put it on the net and was costing her money. No, this is a full video that she posted on her Twitter page. And the reason, and in fact, I'm looking at it right now. And the reason I'm able to look at it right now is because after Goth Fatty decided to stop working with me, she blocked all my personal accounts from seeing her. But she didn't block my Boochcast accounts. So on the Boochcast Twitter, I'm still following her, and I can still see this shit. So again, how will you feel violated by me using a video that's in the public eye that you put in the public eye? That makes no fucking sense. And I've told this story to numerous people. I even mentioned it on stage at a comedy show. Not one person has turned to me and said that I'm the bad guy. And what really makes me angry, and the reason I'm able to tell this story, is because of the fact that when she was making the decision to let me go, the reason she made the decision to let me go was because was because she was worried with all these new businesses that she's opening and all this stuff that she has planned, she doesn't want to risk me ruining all those plans by causing controversy. That pissed me off more than anything because here's the thing. This whole thing started over a porn clip that she's concerned with. Meanwhile, if you go to a Twitter page, she's still doing porn. She hasn't posted anything YouTube related. She hasn't posted anything No Hood Rats Allowed related. She's back to doing porn and she's got new ones. She's reposting some of her old shit. She's also posting new shit. So you're back to doing porn despite being worried about a porn clip that I put in a video. Not only that, she had the balls to say that she was worried about controversy. Meanwhile, this is the same woman who has a show called No Hood Rats Allowed where she says negative shit about the black community. She shits upon the black community. She calls ghetto women hood rats. She refers to their children as hood mice. She basically says all the broke black people, it's their fault they're broke. They're trapped in a matrix. They're on the Democrat plantation or whatever. She calls people sheep and robots and even told me she loves to trigger people and spark outrage. She does all this controversial shit. Hell, she's vocal about being a Trump supporter and you're worried about me. You're going to tell me a three to five second porn clip in a 17 minute video. That's the thing that's going to bring down the goth fatty empire with all the controversial shit she already does. In fact, I remember about a month ago, she put out a video about the possibility of 9-11 being an inside job. But she's worried about me. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, this is the most goddamn ridiculous shit I've ever seen. I have never been stabbed in the back like this before by another person in the most ridiculous way possible. And I'll be honest, guys. The reason I'm so fucking angry is because I feel hurt and betrayed. Because I was a genuine friend to her. I had her back. There were times when she would call me out of nowhere because she was dealing with traumatic shit. And I would sit there and I would listen. And I didn't have an ulterior motive. I wasn't trying to get into her pants like every other guy that was in her life. I was being her friend. I was collaborating with her. Now, I'm not going to lie. Do I find her attractive? Yes. And if a relationship was to spark from that, would I want to pursue it? Yes. But I wasn't actively trying to make it happen. I was being professional. And I was also being her friend. And I felt like she was my friend. So for her to just kick me to the curb like this, yeah, it fucking hurts. Especially when this is the pettiest fucking thing I've ever had someone 
one do to me? And despite all of it, I still think she's talented. I've never taken that away from her. I never once shamed her for doing porn. Like, the only reason I'm mad at the fact that she's back to doing porn is the fact that porn played a role in us not working together or being friends anymore. That's the part that makes me angry. I never judged her for doing porn. I never judged her for having a show called No Hood Rats Allowed. I embraced her creativity. I wanted her to grow and be great. I would never do anything to jeopardize her career. And I find it hurtful that she thought I would. And now she's on her own. And obviously, you know, she's struggling to find help. And I'll be honest, I don't feel sorry for her in that regard. Because she had the best help in the world and she threw it away. Because anybody that's ever worked with me knows. I'm one of the most loyal motherfuckers on the planet. If you're loyal to me, I'm loyal to you. You take care of me, I'll take care of you. You got my back, I got yours. I've always been that way. And the sad part is, most people don't realize that about me until I'm gone. Either by them getting rid of me, or me just walking away after feeling devalued and underappreciated. And now that I got this off my chest, I'm not going to speak anymore on Goth Batty. She made her choice. She wants to move forward without me. So now I'm moving forward without her. But anyway, in the midst of all this, I did attempt to move forward. You know, I got a chance to do a music video or almost did a music video with Baby, which ironically is somebody that Goth Batty would talk about. But the people who did the going live show were directing a music video for Baby. So I was going to basically do 100 bucks for one day, which was fine with me. Uh, anyway, I'm driving to the set. It's in the city. I pull up. I go to put the car in park, but my car was on an incline. And for some reason, the linkage and the gear shift breaks. So even though the car is in park, the D is still lit up. So the car is still able to move. And I'm trying to shift the gear back, and I can't. And I'm stuck in a car that I can barely stop. So eventually, I turn the key and shut it off. And now the car won't start. So now is a moment where I'm like, oh, fuck, did the transmission just blow? So keep in mind, I'm at the set, and my car won't start. So now... I got to call AAA, get them down here, hopefully shoot my scene before AAA shows up. Long story short, I didn't. A cop almost towed my car, put a ticket on my car, because apparently where I was parked, you can't legally park, even though there's no fucking sign that says that. They say, look at this yellow line here. I'm like, that's on the passenger side. No driver can notice that. It was bullshit. It ended up being a $75 fine. I still got paid for doing the music video, even though I didn't get to take part in the fucking music video, which sucked. And then, of course, my dad had to... Come get me from AAA, and then he and I had to have the real job talk, which I fucking hate, and dealing with all that shit. So between my car getting fucked up, falling out with Goth Batty, and originally, the, that week, Seven and I were supposed to go to New York with a bunch of comics. We are going to do ten shows in four days, and I was going to get another two grand for recording that, but because a lot of the comics backed out, the trip had to be put on hold, so I missed out on that. So at this point, ladies and gentlemen, my life is crumbling around me. Now, the salvation I had was the first week in October, I had three gigs in a row. I had a corporate gig for an accounting firm and two high school reunions. One in Alabama and one in Georgia near Griffin. So I do these three shows and I make 900 bucks because it's 300 bucks a show. So that's 900 bucks in a week and I'm doing great. I also had some other shows this year. Back in August, I did a wedding rehearsal dinner for about, which was about a 30 minute set. That was fun. I wrote some wedding rehearsal stuff for that. I did a senior facility in South Carolina where that one was awkward because some of the people were laughing, but some of the old people were just smiling because I guess they didn't have the energy to laugh. And there was this one lady named Sassy Sally who was a massive fucking cunt because she was just heckling. She was grouchy. She was miserable. Finally, she said, I need to get out of here. I'm going to shit my britches. And that's when they finally got her out of there and I had to work around that awkward shit. And then once that was done, then, you know, I got my 
payment finally it took them two months to pay me back because it didn't go through the proper accounting but i did eventually get my money for that and then i did another senior facility back in november but this one wasn't really a senior facility it's more like a an apartment complex for people who are 55 and up can live in i performed for them that was a fantastic job and you know that was fun got paid for that so i did do a bunch of stand-up gigs this year and I was getting booked regularly to do these, do Thumbtack. It was really working out. Everything was going well. Everything was working in my favor. Like I said, things were going great. And then I had the most fucked up moment happen to me. I started getting into voiceover this year. I did one voiceover gig through Upwork, which was a freelance site that I was uh, tinkering around with, where they asked me to do 53 different voice recordings. I did all 53, sent them in. Uh, they didn't like them. For whatever reason, but they waited until like a, a month and a half to tell me that and wanted me to fix them all. I didn't have time to fix them all, so I basically just declined and walked away because I just had too much shit going on by the time they came back to me and I'm gonna tell you what that shit was pretty much right now. I had another voiceover gig where this guy was basically gonna pay me $1,000 per project to do some voiceover stuff for him. And this is a gig that I got through Craigslist, which some people might say this is a fucking scam and it was, but at the time I wasn't sure because even though I heard stories about people getting scammed through, through Craigslist, it has not happened to me ever. Like I said, I helped a guy move and made some money, so I I know Craigslist for the most part has been legit. I've never had a Craigslist scam happen to me. This one did. Um, I'll bore you with all the details, but I'll just say long story short, this guy bounced a bunch of checks on me. They all bounced and my bank account ended up being $3,594 in the hole by the time all the checks bounced. And after the first check bounced, I called the bank and I asked the bank about the status of the other two checks. And I spoke to a lady named Kathy who told me the other two checks had cleared and that they were fine and easy to work with. Then the second check bounces, I call Wells Fargo. Apparently they said, well, that was a mistake. Or they said, well, we assumed the money would be there. I said, well, so did I, motherfuckers. That's not a valid excuse. But still, I filed a claim. They ruled against me and I had to pay the money back. So in order for me to pay that money back, I had to do what my father told me to do, which was get a real job. Now, my dad told me to get a real job after the incident with the car. My father, to this day, has no idea about checks bouncing on me. And unless he listens to this podcast, or if he happens to hear me through the door at the time that I'm recording this, he's never going to know. Because my mom and I didn't want him to, because A, we were handling the situation, and B, because my dad has a bad heart, and he doesn't need the high anxiety or the stress in his life. So we just kept it from him. And basically, my mother would help me pay my bills while I paid off this debt. And how I paid the debt off was I found a job. I got a job working at UPS, as I mentioned before. That's why I got the UPS job, strictly to pay off this debt. And the reason I chose UPS was because UPS has a system where if you fill out the job application within 20 minutes, you have an official start date. There's no job interview. There's no crazy process. You basically apply. And while you're applying, you fill out all your information that they need, the banking information for direct deposits. Uh, you go through everything. And as long as you don't fail their background check between the time you apply for the job and your orientation day, you're good to go. And I was good to go. So this basically happened to me around October 27th was when this all happened. I applied for the job. By November 8th, I had my start date at UPS. And I went through the whole doing the math of how much I was going to make. Because originally when I applied for the job, it was a sunrise position that was supposed to take place Monday through Friday. And it was a seasonal job from 430 
to 9 a.m. So basically four and a half hours, five days a week. And the starting pay was $21 an hour, which I found out during orientation had just recently been added by the union. More on that later. But when I did the math, I was going to make roughly around $397.85 a week after taxes. Because UPS gives weekly checks. And that's how much I stand to make a week. And based off of the debt and the math that I did, it would have taken me nine weeks to pay off this debt. Basically, by the second week of January, it would have been paid off. And when I was at orientation, I was told that January 15th was the cutoff for the seasonal employees. So basically, after January 15th, the company would decide whether or not they want to keep you or get rid of you. But you as the employee also have the right to decide whether you want to stay with the company or if you want to leave. And because I had nine weeks, my original plan going in was, let's see how this goes. Let's see in the long run if this job is worth it. And if it is, I'll stay. And if not, I'll leave after the season. But I was willing to give it time. So I enter orientation on November 8th and 90% of it is mostly about safety because safety is the biggest concern that they have. They have a whole safety team that talks about the importance of safety because accidents can happen. Crazy shit has happened. They told us plenty of stories of people who've gotten hurt and sadly have gotten killed on the job from doing things that were reckless and irresponsible. They also talk about the importance of, you know, preventing theft. And that if you see something and you say something, you get a massive reward. Their actual slogan is, snitches get riches. Which is something I definitely plan on putting into my uh, stand-up act. Hell, most of the stuff I've experienced at UPS is already in my stand-up act. One joke's already in there. I have another one on deck that I'm still in the process of writing. And the one I've already mentioned is the fact that I'm a package handler at UPS. That was the job title that I had, warehouse package handler. And I talk about the fact that my dad, who, as I mentioned before, does not know about the debt, but did know that I was applying for a job at UPS. And in the beginning, my father was the happiest I'd ever seen him. He was over the moon excited that I was working at UPS to the point where he was bragging to his friends at work that I'm working for UPS. And I'm going to be honest, even though as a child, even though technically I'm not a child, but I'm his child, I'm glad that my dad is proud of me. You know, every son deep down wants their father to be proud of them. But at the same time, I want my dad to be proud of me for the right reasons. And I find it offensive that with everything I've done in my life, all the great shit that I have done over the years, in comedy, on the radio, on TV, I've been in films... Hell, one of my films that I was in, Cigar, is actually now available on Tubi. You can actually watch it. It's it's called Cigar with Yaya McLean that I shot almost 10 years ago. That's on Tubi. That just recently came out, like, um, at the time that I'm recording this, a day or two ago. But at this point, it will have been out for a few weeks. I mean, I've done a lot of great fucking things in my life. Even in the world of wrestling, I've done a lot of great things in my life. But the thing my dad's the most proud of is that I work at UPS. And the reason my father loves this job so much is because of the benefits. Because that's the thing that when my dad and I were having the real job conversation, the one thing he would never shut the fuck up about is the importance of the benefits, healthcare benefits. Like, 
health insurance to my dad is the holy grail nowadays. And it's mostly because of the fact uh, his health has been in the shitter for the last few years because of the heart attack he suffered three years ago. So because of that, he has very much a health is wealth kind of person. So every time I had a bad day at work or I wanted to vent about it because my dad would ask me how my day was, all he would say is like, get them money, get them benefits, you're going to get in shape, it's going to be great, they're just toughing you up. Like I'd be like, dad, get the fuck away from me. You're not helping me. So it was insane. And it would annoy the crap out of me. So I talk about how my dad goes, my son works at UPS. He really knows how to handle a package. Yeah, well, so does every guy in Midtown. It's not a skill, you know? So that's kind of the joke. And then the other joke that I'm working on that's on deck is, and this is a true story, they have these huge boxes that are filled with burlap sacks you put packages in, or like, they call it bags for the bag line. And the boxes are really, really huge. These boxes, I shit you not, are called gay lords. Yes, you heard that correctly. They are called gay lords. Now, apparently, to everybody at UPS, this is normal talk. See, I come from a generation where gay lord was an insult. It was like another way of calling somebody gay. You'd be like, shut up, gay lord, or you're a massive gay lord. Like, gay lord was an insult where I come from. And apparently, not a lot of people knew this, which fascinated the shit out of me. Maybe this is a northern thing, and it didn't make it all its way down to the south. But gay lord, I can't believe that was a thing. And then at one point, we had these smaller boxes. Because basically, here's how UPS works. I should probably backtrack a little bit and explain this. Basically, this was my job at UPS for a period of time. We had this off-lot area where there's five different bays where packages come out. And they fall into these boxes that are on pallets. And whenever that box fills up, or is about to fill up, you would take a pallet jack, jack it up, and pull the box out and put a fresh box in so the machine doesn't stop. Because if it fill overflows, the machine stops automatically. The goal is to make sure the machine doesn't stop, which was easier said than done. And then we would take this full box, take it all the way to this back area where this group of guys would send them up a chute and dump them and send them somewhere else in the warehouse. Now, these tiny boxes, or at least they're tiny compared to the big ones, we were just calling them boxes for the longest time. So I go to launch this in there because they tell us to stop dumping the Gaylords. So I tell this lady, well, that's not a Gaylord. She said, no, that's half a Gaylord. It's the same thing. And I'm like, what? Half a Gaylord? So at that moment, I started thinking to myself, and this is the joke that comes in, is that UPS is run by Italians. The reason I say that is because the Italians invented a certain phrase that you've probably heard a lot and some people might have used, but I guarantee you, the Italians, we invented it. It's a term that is called half a fag. Now, I know the word fag is not a word that is politically correct to use anymore, but that is the term and what it's called. And again, as we mentioned in the Hear Me Out variety show, whenever we've used the term fag in our lives, we've never used them to make fun of actual gay people because there's nothing wrong with being gay. When I was growing up, the word fag was another way to call somebody an asshole or a jerk or a wuss. You know, they were fag. That was the term we used. But half a fag had a different meaning attached to it. You know, basically it was somebody who is not, you're not completely gay, but you have gay tendencies. Like, you might not fuck dudes, but you watch a lot of musicals. That can be half a fag. Or you have sex with women, but you're metrosexual. That can kind of be half a fag. Or if you have sex with dudes, but you only top, you never bottom. That's half a fag. Like, those are the terms or the ways we describe that word. So when I heard half a gay lord, immediately this joke was running through my head. So I did get some material out of working at UPS. 
But at first, everything seemed to be okay. But when I originally applied for the job, like I said, I had a 4.30 to 9 a.m. shift. I was supposed to be the sunrise person. That's what was happening. Now, they did say in the beginning that technically you are sunrise, but if you want to work night shifts from time to time, you can do that if you want to make some extra money. Well, obviously, I have a debt to pay off, so I want to make some extra money. So I decided on a Monday, you know what? I'm feeling good. I want to be a team player. I think I'll go in this one time. I'll come in for a night. Well, I came in for that one night shift, ladies and gentlemen, and all of a sudden, that became my permanent shift. I then discovered that the sunrise shift was not 4.30 to 9. It was actually 3.30 to about 6. And apparently, the 4 to 9 people did something else. So basically, this is not the job that I signed up for at all. Because I got a job to work mornings, and I now end up working nights, which is not good for me. I didn't want the night shift to become my permanent fucking shift. Why? Because I'm a comedian. I need my nights. I need my nights to perform. That's why I wanted the morning shift. It was a sweet spot. It was perfect for me, especially if I was going to stay long term. Because I could perform, do my stand-up, then go work this job, then go get some sleep, and repeat the cycle all over again. It was allowing me to have work-life balance, which is the most important thing to me at this stage of my life. Yes, I want to make a lot of money. And yes, I know when you have a job, that job is important to an extent. But I also want to balance it with my life. I don't want a day job, or in this case a night job, to be the thing my life revolves around. That's no way to live. And that's what was happening to me at UPS. Not only that, I elected to work five days a week. I found myself working six days a week for the majority of the time that I was here. They had us working Sunday nights from like 7 p.m. till either midnight or one in the morning. And this became my life. And then eventually, when the sunrise shift kicked in after the night shift, I would find myself coming in at 10 o'clock at night and leaving at like 6, sometimes 7 in the morning. The late One time, the latest I left was 7.30 in the morning. So by the time the sun is out, I'm already coming home. By the time my mom is leaving for work, I'm coming home from work. And by the time they're going to bed, I'm out the door. And I'm not happy about any of this, but I have a debt to pay off, so I persevere. And again, I'm trying to give this the benefit of the doubt that maybe this is just a temporary thing. It was anything but. And to make matters worse, I liked the pallet jack aspect of the job, working what they call the offline. I enjoyed that. I liked that. If I could just keep doing that, I'd be happy. But apparently, when you're a package handler, that's not the only job you have. Turns out, they sometimes put you in the back in the dumping area, which is 50-50 as far as having a good day. Depends on who's back there with you. But there's a whole other section of the store, or warehouse, I should say, called D-Bag, which is the perfect name, considering there's quite a lot of D-Bags working in that area. And the fact the person who continuously put me there is the biggest D-Bag in the whole entire warehouse. But this section is a fucking nightmare, because literally, it's like an assembly line. There's a big-ass conveyor belt that goes down, and your job is to grab all the burlap bags and shake all the packages out so when they go down the chute, there's no bags. If there's tote boxes, you got to get those off of there, and usually there's a person in the front who unzips the bag, and then it goes to another person who shakes the bag. And sometimes there's multiple bags. You grab one and the people down the line grab the others. The problem with this is the people in the front, some of them have no fucking clue how to properly unzip a goddamn bag. So half the time I'm shaking shit and the bag isn't unzipped at all or it's only unzipped halfway or three quarters of the way. It's got to be all the fucking way. So now I got to fix their mistake 
And by the time I get out of the D-bag, my arms and my shoulders are shot to shit. Because I'm the only one doing any actual work. Everybody else around me is like, got their heads in the clouds, or they're staring at their fucking phones. Especially the supervisors. Supervisors love to stare at their goddamn phones. There's one lady in there who I cannot fucking stand. She's the most ratchet person I've ever met. This is the type of woman that stands around, does absolutely fucking nothing, but then criticizes everybody else for not working hard enough. And she had the fucking cojones to tell me I wasn't working hard enough. Me, one of the hardest working motherfuckers walking God's green earth. In that warehouse, there's only two other people that work as hard as me. One of them works harder than me. The other one is kind of on my level. The one that works harder than me is a guy named Prison. Or Prison, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Prison, Prison, I don't know how to pronounce it. But that guy works harder than anybody. And he's the guy that kind of mentored me during my time at UPS. And he was the guy that was trying to sell me on why UPS is a great place to work. Telling me about all the benefits. Like, you know, the healthcare, the dental, the vision, the pension, and all this other great shit that comes with the job. He's really trying to sell me on this place. And the other one, the guy who's on my level, is a kid named Antonio, who is the guy that always had my back when we were working on the offline and nobody else was doing shit except standing around. So, yeah, it was stressful at times. In the beginning, it was fun, but towards the end, I felt like I was in Shawshank. Like, when I knew for a fact I wasn't going to stay, I suddenly felt like Andy Dufresne tunneling his way out of Shawshank, crawling through that shit-covered pipe. And then, like, on my last day, I could hear Morgan Freeman going, just shy of half a mile. When Andy Dufresne pulls out of the pipe and hits the water, and then he's, like, walking out, and he, like, puts his hands up to the sky, knowing he's finally free. That's literally how I felt, because that job was a fucking nightmare. I can honestly say UPS is one of the worst jobs I've ever had, or at least that warehouse was. Now, thankfully, I was able to leave on good terms, and I'll explain why. Because I'm going to be honest. I knew after a couple of weeks I was not going to stay at UPS. But I need to wait for the debt to be paid off. But here's the problem. Because my hours fluctuate here, there was no guarantee of when I was going to pay this off. Because the first check I got was for $228.34. Because here's the thing. You get paid, but you get paid for the week prior. So for two days of orientation and one day of training, that's how much money I got. The second week, I got $450.53. That's because I had one day where I worked eight hours. The third week, I made $355.72. Because I had a couple days where I was sent home early. The fourth week, I made $644.70. And that's because I worked double shifts Monday through Thursday, plus six hours on Sunday and five hours on Friday because there's no sunrise on Saturday. So Saturday was my one and only day off on average a week. Other than that, I was working like a dog. The fifth week, I made $453.51. And on week six, I made $448.88. Now, at the time that I'm recording this, I don't have my check for week seven yet, but rest assured, when it comes in, I'll uh, be sure to let you guys know how much it is on a future episode once I got it, but it's basically going to be for the money I made this past week at the time that I'm sitting here recording this, I mean, because I worked four days. I was in D-bag all four days. I was dealing with the rudest supervisor in the place, who just happens to be the HNIC of the whole fucking place, and somebody that I can't stand because she's rude. She talks down to people. She's disrespectful. 
disrespectful. This is a person who has no business being anybody's boss. She criticizes other people, but yet when it comes time to do work, she doesn't do any. She's playing on her phone. She's sitting around with everybody else, cackling, laughing, joking around. To me, she's a disgrace to management. And I can honestly say, of all the shitty supervisors I've had, none of them sucked more than her. Now, there were other supervisors there that I liked. There's other co-workers there that I liked. But the fact that the one I can't stand is the HNIC of the whole place and the fact that during the last four days that I worked, she was literally hovering over my shoulder like a Scientology agent. I knew if I stay here, I'm going to get fired eventually because she and I are going to come to blows, whether it be verbally or physically or whatever. Shit's going to hit the fan eventually because there's only so much shit that I can take before eventually I'm going to snap and I could feel it coming. Now, on the Wednesday, the 20th, when I was literally at my breaking point physically, mentally, and emotionally, I'm in the D-bag section and the only thing I like about the D-bag section is the fact that the HNIC wasn't there. The supervisor of the D-bag area, who I'm cool with, eventually tells me to go back to the offline. So I go there and I meet this lady, Lawanda, who is a supervisor but not the one that I hate. Lawanda's the one that I like. That's why I'm mentioning her by name. In case anyone from UPS is listening to this, I don't want any misunderstandings. Lawanda's the good one. I mean, there's other good ones too, but I can't remember their names except for Shania and Melissa. She's cool too. Um, but they tell me that for, and I don't know what the reason is, and I didn't even ask. They told me that Thursday and Friday, the 21st and 22nd, I did not have to come into work. And obviously, we were off the 25th for Christmas Day. And Saturday, like I said, is an automatic. And Sunday is Christmas Eve. And apparently, we were going to be done with Sundays now going forward. And then they told me they would talk about a schedule for next week. So I was like, all right. So they signed me out early and sent me home and I didn't even put up a fight. I walked out. I was happy. I was smiling. I was celebrating. Even though I had a shit day, it ended on an awesome note. I wake up on Thursday and not only am I sick as a dog, but I am in severe fucking pain. I am in so much fucking pain from all the shit that I've had to go through and all the heavy lifting that I had to do. I could barely lift a spoon. I'm limping all around the house. I got a terrible head cold. I can't think straight. I'm still trying to do my computer work because I had to do research for Dark Side of Comedy, which I got done. I, I watched all the Dark Side of Comedies, so eventually I could start reaching out to comedians and booking them for videos and stuff, which is another goal I have for 2024 to get Dark Side of Comedy done. So, I'm taking medicine. I'm all hopped up on everything. I'm trying to relax and sweat out the illness, which eventually I did. Like, right now, the time that I'm recording this, I still got a bit of a cough and a stuffy nose, but it's not nearly as bad as it was a few days ago and I just felt like shit but then I got a text at 11.27 from a number I don't know but it says it has been a pleasure working with you our sunrise position has ended you are welcome to reapply to UPS I pray your holidays are joyful now I don't know who sent this to me and I don't really need to know but that message tells me that I'm done so my hell at UPS is over now the good news is I was able to pay off the debt successfully because the money that I made at UPS for the first five weeks combined with $1,500 that my mother gave to me in addition to all the other times she was helping me like she was helping me pay my rent she was helping me pay my health insurance and she provided me with gas money to get to and from work so she provided me with those things I took care of the debt then when her bonus came in she threw some extra money at 
the debt and that wiped it clean. And it's a good thing she did that because, like I said, with the hours getting cut and the fact that the sunrise thing ended, without her help, I would not have paid the debt off in time because Wells Fargo was going to close my account on December 26th if I did not have the debt paid off by then. But if I made enough significant payments, they might have been willing to give me extra time. I don't know. But I now know with all the bullshit I was going through and with my hours fluctuating, there's no way I would have been able to pay the debt off without my mom's help. And she did help. And I'm so grateful to her for it. And I'm even more grateful that now that the debt is repaid, I can put UPS and everything else in my rearview mirror and I can start off 2024 on a high note. Now, I will say in the midst of all this, another great thing happened. As I mentioned in the beginning, my dad was a massive pain in the ass when it came to UPS. Well, eventually my dad came around because at one point my dad was asking me how much I was making at UPS with the hours I was working. Now, obviously, I could not tell my dad exactly what was going on because if I told him how much money I was making, he would assume I would have that much money in the bank. But as we mentioned before, I was paying off a debt to Wells Fargo. So the first five checks that I received, the 228, the 450, the 355, the 644, and the 453, every time those checks came in, that money was going to Wells Fargo to pay off the bank. So technically, I did not profit off of this job at all. All the money I made was wiping out that debt. The only money I've kept from this is the $448.88 that I got and the check that came in after that, which, as I said at the time of this recording, that check hasn't come in yet, so I don't know how much it is, but those are the only checks that I've kept that belong to me. And like I said, I thought the cutoff was going to be January 15th, and I was willing to hang on until then to get some extra coin in my pocket. But when I heard this sunrise thing was over, and after all the bullshit that I went through during the week of the 18th with all that bullshit that I went through from the 17th to the 20th there's no way I'm going back so once I found out that was done I blocked the number of the two supervisors that I have one is Lawanda the other is the HNIC I blocked both their numbers because I don't want to talk to them and at the time that I'm recording this as I mentioned before it's the 23rd of December so on the 26th the day after Christmas I plan on going up to the UPS and turning in my badge because that's another thing. They give you a badge that you use to get in and out of the building. You use to get into the parking lot and then you have to scan it to get in and out of the building through a turnstile. And then they walk in, you go through a metal detector, and then you can go into the warehouse. Now, just to be clear, the UPS that I worked at is the one off Fulton Industrial Boulevard because that was the only option that was available to me at the time. Now, the fact that I have this text here saying that I am welcome to reapply to UPS, that's another reason why I blocked the supervisors because if I'm going to leave this company, I don't want to have a conversation with any of them because I don't want to have a confrontation or a fight. I just want to go up to the employment center, turn in the badge, say that I'm done here, and then maybe someday in the future, if I'm ever in a situation like this again, I may reapply to UPS. But if I ever do, I'm going to tell you this right now. I won't be at Fulton Industrial Boulevard. It'll be somewhere else if I ever do that again. Now, I pray to God that I never go back to UPS. I have no plans to go back there. Um, Like I said, that's going to be one of those things where if I'm ever in a situation again where I need a job and I need a job fast or I need money and I need money fast. The fact that 
UPS is an option. I can always do that again. But like I said, I will never go back to the one on Fulton Industrial Boulevard. I'm going to go to one that's somewhere else, like maybe in Buford or in Doraville. Because I know there's a comedian friend of mine that works at the one in Doraville. So I may go to either one of those and see if the management's better there. But right now, as far as jobs go, my plan is to, there's this one company that I'm looking to apply for. I'm not going to say the name of it right now because, you know, just in case anybody gets butthurt or offended by any of the things I said, I don't want them tracking me down on where I'm going. But I do have a potential job opportunity coming up after the new year. Um, I actually tried to apply for it uh, in December, but they said they're winding things down for the end of the year. So they said, call me after the new year and we'll talk about job opportunities so my plan is to work there now if god forbid for whatever reason i don't get this cool job my only other backup plan is to apply to like a walmart or a target or something and if i do go back to retail i'll say this because these are definite certain what i'm gonna do if I ever go back to retail, it won't be Home Depot, it won't be Lowe's, and I will not be working as a cashier at any of the other retail stores that I apply for. I'm done with cashiering. I'll probably be a lot associate pushing carts because at least that I can do because I don't like being a cashier because A, as I've already established for many, many years, I don't like interacting with customers because they're rude and disrespectful and they're stupid. Also, I don't like being confined to one area of the store and I don't like the fact that if I have to go to the bathroom or if it's time for me to go home because the end of my shift, I have to wait for somebody to come down and relieve me and that can take forever. If I got to go to the bathroom, I want to be able to go to the bathroom. When it's time for me to leave, it should be time for me to leave. I want to go. So those are the things I know for sure. So obviously in 2024, solid day jobs, what I'm looking for. I know B, do a lot more shows with Buff Bagwell because I know he and I are getting back into the swing of things and I look forward to working more closely with him in the future. Uh, I know Seven wants to start things up again in the spring, so I look forward to doing more more film projects with him. Uh, I'm hoping Lance Goodman will have some regular film work for me as well. And I definitely plan on building up a film production company in 2024 and getting more film projects and getting paid that way as well. Um, recently, I talked to Jeremy from Bar Comedy USA. And on February 9th, I'm hoping to go to uh, North Dakota for a show, which is going to be weird and interesting. But fuck it, I'm going to take the risk. You know, I'm feeling lucky. And of course, on January 20th, I have a show, but that's a private gig. So I'm looking forward to seeing what 2024 is going to bring. I know I got a lot in store for 2024 and I'm hoping it'll be better than 2023, which had some good, ended on a really shitty note, but all that's behind me now. And just like Andy Dufresne, I crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. And now I'm going to get busy living so I don't get busy dying. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this episode of the Boochcast. I thank you guys so much for tuning in and make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Uh, make sure you check out the male soap opera moment. Hopefully the Wens by now has posted our recap of WWE Survivor Series. And of course, in a couple of weeks, we'll have our predictions for the WWE Royal Rumble. And of course, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content. And be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. As I mentioned before, I've got all the Dark Side of Comedy notes done. So I'm hoping to get some comedians ready to 
film the rest of the videos. I'm about to get started on Dark Side of the 2000s. I know I got Derek that I need for a couple, so I'm going to collaborate with him as well. I'm also going to get Dark Side of the Ring back up and running. Uh, Elvis is supposed to do a couple of uh, episodes with me. I'm still trying to get in contact with him to figure that shit out, but now that everything's behind me, I can get the Dark Side videos ready. I'm going to do that, and hopefully Lance and I can get the football Dark Sides up and running this year as well. And of course, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, January the 27th for the WWE Royal Rumble. It's the first stop on the road to WrestleMania. So we got the women's and men's Royal Rumble. And of course, with the men's Royal Rumble, we'll find out who will be main eventing night one or two of WrestleMania because we know night one's going to be Punk and Rollins. Night two is going to be Cody and Roman. So the women's Royal Rumble is basically a piss break battle royal that doesn't mean a goddamn fucking thing. But if you like Royal Rumbles and you like high spots and legend pops, still watch it if you can see the pay-per-view. And of course, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, another special project in the works. And of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is 99 cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WB Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold the Peacock, you got to where to put that $9.99. So to that $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content in the network. And unlike the Elite, we actually care about our fans are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying with your credit card or with GPay. And the best part is all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment. We used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes they're to be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been the Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.